Good morning. It's, it's great Good to have you here, Dee. Thank you very much, Tom. Good to be here. Uh, I'm just going to start off with Dee, uh, just a little bit about your background uh, and how, how you started out. I mean, you grew up in West Cork, studied in UCD, you know, an arts graduate. Uh, how did you make that move into the media in the first place? Okay, um, I think the, the roots began when I was in UCD. Um, I was very involved in college life. I was auditor of the Politics Society. I ran various fundraising for various magazines and ultimately I loved dealing with people. And from that, I thought I wanted to go into the world of advertising. Um, but at the time, I was advised to go down the media route in the advertising agency as opposed to in the account management side by an old friend here in, in, um, in Ireland, Bob Milne. So I joined Yeoman Rubicam in the UK in the media buying department, media buying and planning as it was back then. And that was my first, I suppose, taste of the media world. I absolutely loved it. I worked on international clients, buying their media right around Europe and the world. And then from there, I joined Turner Broadcasting. So I think it was always a curiosity. I loved the people side of the business. I loved, um, I suppose, the, the, the international flavor. And from the beginning, I worked in the international side, being on the um, media buying side internationally. And I suppose we really got to see a very diverse area dealing with you know, publications from all around the world, TV channels all around the world. And at the time, uh, TV was really opening up. Um, hence, Turner Broadcasting became a new entry into the UK, and I joined Turner. And you spent 14 years there, Dee. Uh, I did indeed. What were the key things you learned? And uh, did you get to know Ted Turner, uh, the company's you know, colorful founder? Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, it was, it was an amazing experience working for the man whose name was over the door. And I think Ted had a very, very strong impact on the company, um, from expanding outside the US, to his very ethos, which was basically keep pushing until you can't go any further. Nothing was impossible to Ted. And I think all of us who worked for him at that point you know, got that from him. And he was very much a mentor of mine and somebody that I, I really uh, benefited from working with. And um, again, I suppose at that time in the UK, cable and satellite was just starting out, sky was just um, on the horizons, and the multimedia side of the world had really opened up. Um, and at Turner Broadcasting, I worked right across Europe. Um, I set up sales teams around Europe, launched channels all over Europe, um, and was part of that world that was really looking to Europe at that time to try out new things. So very, very exciting. And then you, in 2010, you moved to Discovery Networks, mm -hmm. where you're dealing with 27 TV brands, 270 million people tuning in. Uh, like that is it's an absolutely huge organization. Uh, what were the things that you, you know that you, you think that you, you learned there, and how are you? Do you think that you're going to bring those learnings to your new role with RTE? Okay. Again, Discovery, you know, a fantastic um, organization that really, in the last six, seven years, went from being predominantly a pay TV operator to being in every area, free-to-air broadcasting, buying companies like Eurosport, etc. So I think the time at Discovery was really about, A, moving from the sector of kids' television, the main at Turner, into the factual area in particular, but also dealing with sports, dealing with um, channels in the Nordics, that were really very, very big channels that fulfilled a broad remit, not just simply you know, pay um, in one respect. So I think the time at Turner was a broadening of the horizons, sorry, at Discovery, broadening of my horizons, seeing the mix shift and seeing that 
a pay-to-be broadcaster like Discovery could also have um, an impact on the free world. And also, I think at that time, the diversification strategy of Discovery, going from simply being a the provider of very, very strong you know, factual content into the world of free-to-air sports, etc. So the diversification really allowed and enabled by the market and by viewer demands as well. And you spent your, your entire career pretty much in the UK or in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, All of it. What prompted your decision to go for the Orty job? I mean, what was it that, that you wanted, what was the challenge that you wanted to take on? Okay. You know, it's, it's a great question and I think timing um, is everything in many of these occasions and I think when I got the phone call to say that the job was, um, you know, um, available, it got me thinking really and I suppose I spent 27 years in the UK, I loved every minute of it, um, really a fantastic career but I guess, you know, being from Ireland and having spent a lot of time here in the last five, ten years in particular back and forth, there was something in me that did want to come back at some stage. And I guess this was the role that I probably had said to myself I would come back for, but never was quite sure when that would be. So I went for the role, thrilled to have got it, and, and I think it's a really important time um, you know, for the role for RT and for the media in general. And I think what I would hope to bring to the role is A, you know, a wide perspective. Um, you know, media is global, um, even though RT particularly um, is about things happening in the Irish market, but I think more and more, as the world around us is, is diversifying, is fragmenting, um, we need to have a very wide you know, outward vision. Um, and also, I think, you know, it's not prudent anymore for any broadcaster to go it alone on everything. And I think, you know, again, as, as I look around and as I get to know the business more, you know, I think opportunities for partnerships, for alliances with, with others, you know, have to be looked at. And I hope, again, I would bring that um, to the table. And do you see yourself to a certain extent, you know, you're not so much competing against your domestic competitors, but you're, that you might collaborate with them to compete internationally to try and produce more expensive, higher quality shows? Yeah, I think again, like as I say, I think the world has changed. And I think, you know, economics and, and viewer demands mean that, you know, as a broadcaster, we have to look for what's right for our, for our viewers. But it doesn't rule out um, talking to anybody and I think the, the, the phrase frenemies is, is well used in our industry um, because you know they, we may well compete but it may well make sense for us to come together on some things and I'm certainly very open to that and you know I've, I've met with very many of the um, other media partners um, in this market and you know my door is, is open. And listening to you know Tony Hannaway the chief executive of Virgin Media Ireland who also spoke at this event I mean mm -hmm. he said that you know, Orty needs to take a hard look at itself, and he said that you know that maybe they have a foot in too many camps. Uh, how would you respond to that? I know you're only a couple of months uh, in the job. Two months. Two months. Um, okay. First and foremost, you know, Orte has a very specific remit. We're a public service broadcaster, and with that remit comes a lot of obligations and. Um, and a lot of um, areas we have to look at. Now again, we need to fulfill a wide remit from zero to 99 effectively. Um, and I think what I am doing now, obviously as I get into this role, is looking at how we're doing that. As I mentioned earlier, the world we're in is evolving. Nothing is staying the same. So maybe it's about how we evolve as a broadcaster as opposed to um, you know, doing things very differently or shutting things down. It's really looking across every specter and saying, what is bringing real value to the viewers? Um, and if perhaps we need to make a shift in how we are doing something, what does that evolve into? Because again, our remit is wide, it's to, it's to entertain, inform and educate. That's the remit of a public service broadcaster and we take that very seriously. 
And is there particular areas which you think are potential new revenue opportunities for RTE or areas that you would like to see to develop and expand? Look, I think everyone is looking for new revenue areas right now. It's, um, it's something that every broadcaster is facing. And I think certainly there are ways, I think, and areas that you know, I'm very interested to develop more, which are, you look at things like the, the RTE player, um, very successfully, successful here in this market. The international player is out there. Can we do more with that? Can that become a bigger generator of revenues? On the digital side, we're working with the GAA um, on GAA Go. So now all the GAA matches are available you know, around the world um, for a subscription service. So I think, it's, again, it's about, it's about evolving you know, how we deliver our content, maybe within, the, within Ireland, but also abroad. So it's really looking, I think, at a lot of those areas and seeing where we can, we can do that. And have you seen Brexit having much of an impact on RTE in terms of being able to plan and to, in terms of advertising revenue? Yeah, I guess the, one of the big challenges um, in, in, at, at RTE and with the, with the public broadcaster is that our revenues are, I suppose, um, they're never fixed. You know, we're dealing with the ad market and living with, dealing with public funding. So on the one hand, it's been, it's been well documented this year that the public funding uh, area has been underserved um, to RTE in the last number of years. But now in the last number of months, certainly Brexit is having an impact on advertising. Um, a lot of advertisers um, that you know, spend money in Ireland are dictated to by the UK. So some of the big international brands like the Unilever's Procter & Gamble's, where their money is actually, I suppose, confirmed by the UK, they are slowing down, certainly. Exchange rates affecting us as well on, on that side of things. So it's, you know, certainly the marketplace is more volatile than we would all like it to be. Having said that, the local market is good for advertising. You know, we're seeing some really good campaigns coming through for the, for the autumn, and that's great. I guess what we're dealing with is a very mixed market right now. We have the uncertainty on the public funding side, the uncertainty on the, um, on the advertising side, and that makes for a very, um, I guess, unusual um, place to be. And uh, looking at the Sunday Independent uh, on Sunday, you know, they were talking about there being the potential for a record deficit this year. Uh, do you think that this is going to be a year where you're going to have to make some hard decisions, or do you think that there are, are things that you, you'd like to do to, to try and address that? Okay. Um, well, 2016 was always going to be, I suppose, an exceptional year in broadcasting terms. And again, public service broadcasters have highs and lows, typically in years where we have a big public service commitment, like the Olympics, um, in particular, or maybe at a general election, we typically would have um, you know, deficits or surpluses in a lower year. So I think certainly we had always planned this year to be an exceptional year. At the same time, you know, what I am doing is looking at the business right across the piece. Um, and the word I keep using internally and externally is we've got to future-proof. I think everybody would say that um, what, is, what is now can't be for the future. Um, the business is changing around us, the models are changing, and we have to change with that. And this is the evolution that I mentioned earlier. Um, and I think, again, every broadcaster in the world is going through this. So certainly I'm taking you know, a very um, open look across the piece at everything we're doing and seeing, is this possible for the future? And if not, what do we do differently? And RTE, like, like the newspaper business, uh, like other broadcasters, I mean, it's facing you know, an, an aging demographic. Uh, do you think that there are things that uh, RTE can do to stay relevant to younger people or to become more relevant to them? Yeah, it's a great area, and it's something that, um, you know, I think whether you look at um, the younger people's output, so the, the, the content we make for RTE Junior, 
the innovative ways that we're approaching content in that respect. So, you know, a lot of the content that is now being produced for, for kids and young adults is app-based, has got a lot of interactivity. So we're, we're definitely in that space. Also, um, I think worth noting is the collaboration recently at Electric Picnic between 2FM and the, the concert orchestra. You know, it was one of the highlights of Electric Picnic. I don't know if any of you were there, um, but the concert orchestra in connection with 2FM, had a fantastic one-hour set with Jenny Green um, on the decks. And it was bringing, um, if you like, I guess the orchestra to a whole new audience with dance hits of the 90s. A really fantastic, um, I think, way of bringing classical music to a younger audience. And the feedback we have had from that has been fantastic. Um, so I think that's another great example of doing things a little bit differently and trying to appeal, appeal younger. And Dee, you're talking to a, you know, a room full of media professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a view about what, what Ireland Inc. could do, you know, in terms of becoming a creative content hub or, or somewhere where, 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 where more, more creativity and more content is produced? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think the content coming out of Ireland is fantastic. I think, you know, we are known as a nation of storytellers. We're known as a nation of, um, you know, high creativity. What's been interesting for me since I've come back and come into the industry is just how fragmented our voice is. Um, and I do think there's opportunity for us to sort of join up and be more collectively strong in voicing what we could do together. Um, and I think RTE can play a very big role in that, actually. And I, I feel that RTE could be the creative beacon at home and abroad in a situation like that, because that gives us strength and gives us a voice. And I think it's that collective coming together of the industry that could really, really help us. And do you think when you look outside Ireland, when you look at, say, the BBC, are, are there things that the BBC is doing that you think that RTE could be doing, or, or are there ideas that you'd like to see adopted? Well, they have lovely big budgets, um, which I would love a little share of. Um, but yeah, I think the BBC is a very interesting um, example. I think the BBC is going through its, its own challenges and has done for a number of years. But I think one thing that is very important to the BBC, and it is to us and we can do more of, I think, is connecting with the community. Um, again, as a public service broadcaster, you know, RTE is not just about Donnybrook, where we're situated. We have correspondents all over the country. I think we need to do more with them. We need to engage with the communities and reflect life outside on an ongoing basis. Because again, we are the window, if you like, on, on Irish society. And there's a lot happening in those areas that we need to, um, I think, do more of and engage with. I think engagement with our audience is vital. Um, you know, we hear every day, we get ratings, we get letters, but I think we need to listen more and engage more. And I think in doing that, it will help us evolve into the RT that people really want us to be. And your background, is, you know, it's a very commercial background. You're now working for, you know, public sector broadcaster. Uh, do you see that, uh, do you see the, culturally, do you see the, the difference between where you've worked before and, and where you're working now? Look, I think every organization has a commercial slant somewhere. Um, and I think, you know, with an RTE, what's, what's fantastic is, you know, it's the content that drives the vision, first and foremost. Um, and then the, the commercial team obviously can take that and, and make it attractive to advertisers. But I think, you know, what, what we have at RTE, again, we're not unique in that we are public and commercial. Many other public service broadcasters around Europe in particular have similar models. And I think it's the important piece is, it's, it's about knowing where we want to get to um, and knowing what we need RTE to be and therefore how we, how we get there. That's the, that's the focus. And do you have a view on the, the, the license VD in terms of you know, how it's collected or, or how much it should be? Okay, well I think you know, first and foremost, um, it was great to hear Minister Nocton 
um, on Radio 1 this week, in fact, saying that he is committed to addressing the license evasion. Um, license fee evasion in this country is the highest in Europe, it's 16%. Um, and really, there is low-hanging fruit there that you know, could be um, addressed. Um, you know, we are losing out on that particularly, so I think I really welcome the Minister's um, commitment to addressing that. Um, and then I think what we have to do is, you know, is work you know, over the coming years about what is the right way of handling the licence fee. Is it a licence fee? Is it a charge? How do we do it? Um, and again, I think if you look at the, to the UK, the BBC have been given you know, five years of assurances on their licence fee with inflation while they work out, along with government, on what the, the future holds. And I think we have to look at that too. And do you see drama as being an area which, which Orty has had some success with? Do you see that being an area that there will be an increasing focus on or, or an area that you'd like to see develop more? Drama has got to be a real key pillar for a broadcaster like ourselves. And it's great to see some strong drama coming out um, across this year. In fact, you know, we had Rebellion earlier in the year. We'll have the second series in that coming, um, a new A.B. Huberman series called Striking Out. So we're, we're definitely, you know, I would say, upping the ante on drama. Now, drama is expensive in its nature, um, and it's something that, you know, while we'd love to do more of, the funding doesn't always allow you to do. But I do think, again, you know, creative partnerships here could be interesting. You know, can we partner with, you know, other international broadcasters or do interesting deals that will allow us to sort of be at the table? And again, we have to always remember that we are commissioning content for an Irish audience first and foremost. Um, but that is attractive. That is attractive, particularly in the movie business. So how can we, you know, sort of translate that into television? So definitely something we're working on and something, again, I see as a, as a pillar, really, in the schedule uh, for RTE. And uh, Dee, I know you, you have to consume a lot of content professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, in your own downtime, uh, what are the programs or what are the things that you like to watch or listen to that have, have, are really engaging with you? Well, I used to spend lots of time on planes. Um, so I had downloaded lots on my iPad over, um, I guess, periods of time. So I watch a lot on planes. I'm not able to watch as much anymore um, because my plane time is reduced. But I am loving the new Narcos series two on Netflix. Um, fantastic. I've been watching um, The Night Of on Sky Atlantic. Um, I'm looking forward to A.B. Huberman striking out, certainly. And I am a crime junkie. I love uh, particularly Nordic noir crime. So anything that comes out in that genre, I will watch. But I, I, I guess I, I will flick through lots of things. I do love to watch lots and lots. I'm listening more and more on the radio. Podcasts are becoming a, a new favorite. And it's, I wish I had more hours in the day. But I think the great thing is there is so much great content out there. There is no shortage of things to, to listen and, and watch. And that's, that's great for the industry, I think. And do you think, you know, when you look at, say, Amazon and Netflix, do you think that there is a danger that there's a generation going up, growing up who mightn't be engaging with RTE whatsoever? I think the choice that's out there now is the most it's ever been. And I think it's incumbent on us to find ways of engaging with that audience. It might not be the traditional, you know, linear show at 8 o'clock at night. Um, maybe it's something like Storyland that we're doing on the player, which is commissioned only for RTE player. It's young writers that attracts a younger audience. So again, I think this is an area that we have to experiment more on. Um, and again, I'm very keen on in talking to that audience about what they want from us, um, because typically it is different. And I think choice is a great thing. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps everybody on their toes. And I think instead of you know, ignoring it, we have to engage and see what we can do in that space. But we're doing some interesting things, and I think we can do more. 
And do you see the potential for Orti to maybe launch new brands, or do you see that, that, that maybe the brand needs a refresh or needs to become different to engage with these new audiences? I, th I think, you know, first and foremost, I think we have to be clearer on what RTE is, first and foremost. Um, and then we look at that across the piece. So in radio, for example, we have um, RTE Pulse, which is more dance music orientated. You've got, you know, RTE Junior, which is, again, more the, um, the kids' content. So we're doing some of that at this point in time. Um, and for me, really, it's about, you know, the overall vision. You know, what does RTE need to be for the future? And that will then dictate, you know, where we go beyond that. And Dee, when you step down in a couple of years' time, or perhaps longer, uh, you know, how do you think you'd like to have changed uh, RTE, or, or what would you think would be the things that you, how do you think RTE would be different to when you took it over? Okay. Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I really hope that RTE will continue to be um, a leading light in Irish cultural life, because I do think that is hugely important, and I, and I hope as well that that is true both here and abroad. And I, I do take that responsibility very, very seriously. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, in this wave of competition and this wave of choice, we have to be clearer in what our brand is and where we want to go. Um, and that is something I'm very keen that by the end of my tenure, I can look back and say, great, that was done, hopefully. Um, and that RTE continues to be, you know, the, um, you know, cultural beacon, if you like, in, in Irish life and reflects what's happening at home and abroad. Okay, uh, Dee Forbes, uh, Director General of RTE, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. <laughs>